Welcome everyone to the Take It Home Podcast. I'm your host, John LaRocca. And when you're listening to this podcast, Thanksgiving has already passed. And I hope everyone had a wonderful Thanksgiving with your family and friends. This week on the Take It Home Podcast, I'm going to cover Clash of the Champions 13 Thanksgiving Thunder. This this event took place on November 20th, 1990. Um, I was thinking of, you know, because it's Thanksgiving weekend, um, I was trying to think of something to a retro show to record. And, you know, of course, I thought about you know, Stargate. I thought about Survivor Series, but that's been done so many times. So I started thinking about other um, events that took place in the month of November. And I want to give a shout out to... Uh, at Deep Cuts WCW Twitter, um, one of my uh, favorite follows on Twitter. I like this. They always he's he or she whoever's running that site is already is always posting just fun clips of WCW from um, the Worldwide uh, Prime to classic stuff from World Championship Wrestling, and recently. They posted a clip of the Motor City Madman. And, of course, that was in the fall of 1990 when the big Motor City Madman was being brought in by the heel manager, Paulie Dangerously, to collect the bounty on Lex Luger. And at the time, Ole Anderson was booking WCW, and he was looking for green and cheap talent. And so I just kind of like, I started thinking about that time of, you know, the fall of 1990 after Halloween Havoc, the Black Scorpion angle, all that. So Deep Cuts WCW on Twitter just inspired me to review a class of champions that always just made me scratch my head like what the hell were they thinking you know what was Ole Anderson thinking when he put on Clash of Champions 13 and I started thinking about it more and like still back in 1990 it's about the house shows right so Ole Anderson being an old school promoter booker wrestler his mentality is still trying to sell the house shows it's not he's not trying to give you anything really big on free television and class champions was free on WTBS. But at the same time, you gotta give the fans something in this show. There are some, some wacky matches on there and, and it just, it just blew my mind. And I just kept thinking about this time and like the decision to do a Pat, Pat O'Connor Memorial tag team tournament for Starcade 90 Pat O'Connor, former NBA world champion, a great world champion, a great worker. Um, any young uh, listeners out there who's never seen Pat, Pat O'Connor matches, go out of your way and you know find his matches on YouTube. There's a lot of matches of his on YouTube. And especially, you got to watch his uh, match with Buddy Rogers in the Comiskey Park. That match is just unbelievable. One of the best matches ever. Um, you see the great Buddy Rogers, and you see why Pat O'Connor was such a great talent um, and a great world champion. And so 
you know, the the Starkey event coming up is in the Kiel Auditorium, very historic building. Uh, Sam Mushnick is going to be there, the legendary promoter of St. Louis. And they're going to honor him. And and they're doing this tournament. But, like, like the event is, like, <laughs> Pat O'Connor was never known for tag team wrestling. So why are you honoring him with a tag team tournament? It's just completely bizarre. And on this show, there's a qualifying match for the Pat O'Connor tag team tournament. And basically, in the, in the Pat O'Connor tag team tournament, it's not a bunch of tag teams from WCW. It's, quote, unquote, tag teams from all over the world. Representing WCW and the United States is the United States tag team champion Steiner Brothers. Representing Japan was the great Muda, Mr. Saito. Uh, New Zealand was the royal family, a.k.a. the New Zealand militia. Uh, there was... Uh, uh, Salvin Hamishkov, excuse me, Victor Zangi from New Japan, but they were representing Russia. Um, and there's a team from Mexico. You got Ray Mysterio Jr.'s uncle, Ray Mysterio Sr., and Conan was there, Mass Conan. Uh, representing the UK was Norman Smiley and Gentleman Chris Adams. And all that is fine. But not for Starcade. It would have been cool if it was something they did for television. Something they did to build to a finals of the Clash of Champions. But we're going to get into all the wackiness of you know, some Starcade 90 stuff. But, but mainly, this Thanksgiving Thunder. Clash of Champions 13. Unlucky 13. And this was an unlucky watch for a lot. Though, re-watching it, I don't know if it just... It's been a while in... The matches were some matches were better than I remembered, or but it wasn't too bad. Just like for a viewer to be like, "Oh man, I gotta see this," you know, like, "Oh, I gotta tune. This is gonna be a big deal." It it did not feel like a big deal at all. Um, again, the date was November twentieth, nineteen ninety. Uh, it took place in Jacksonville, Florida. The venue was Jacksonville Memorial Coliseum, a great venue for WCW. Um, this crowd's always enthusiastic when they go to Jacksonville. Um, and they were here too. I, like they were really into this show. They're really hot, you know, excited to see the stars of WCW. Um, especially staying and, and flair and Sid vicious Lex Luger, the main stars there were going nuts for. And like I said, I wish they would have gave this crowd more, you know, um, this crowd would have been hot for some, some bigger matches. They were hot for these matches they gave him, but man, can you imagine they gave him like a, a big quality main event with the Steiner brothers did like a squash match with the Steiner brothers. The attendance was 5,000 people. The TV rating was 4.2. Now think about that right now. You know, we're, you know, we're analyzing every little rating and I granted there's not as many TV chan- channels as there was now as there is now, but you know, still 4.2. For a, a show like this, which really didn't deserve a 4.2, um, that is down from Clash 12. Clash 12 was down was five was was a five share five point five point oh, and that show had a lot of interest because that they just started the Black Scorpion angle. Um, there was a Luger Flair match on uh, on free television. Uh, Clash 11 before that was 4.1. So this did a little better than Clash 11, though Clash 11 is a better show. 
a, a very good Clash of Champions, so I definitely recommend that. Minus the one of the worst main events ever in Clash of Champions history, and, and one of Ric Flair's worst matches in his career versus the Junkyard Dog. But other than that, the rest of the show is is pretty good. Clash Ten, the the historic clash for uh, you know the Horseman turning on Sting. Uh, <laughs> The, the the wacky Cactus Jack versus Bill Maskers match. Um, that did 4.5. And Clash 9, which which has my favorite match of all time, Ric Flair versus Terry Funk, I quit match, did a 4.9. So it's kind of give you like an idea like where WCW is at. And, and you know, night after Halloween Havoc, WCW felt really cold really dark it got dark like the production got dark like the if i remember like the show looked so dark on television and i think the main event of hollywood havoc 90 really hurt wcw is when they did the sid vicious for sting match they had the fake sting with barry windham as sting and all that it just got it got wacky it got too wacky i think it drove a lot of people away um, it was kind of hard from the cover. And plus, the, the Black Scorpion angle just ended up being a flop. Uh, it was already, a, it was, people were already done with it at this point. You know, it just got ridiculous with the magic. And there's a lot of magic on this show, which we'll talk about. So, without further ado, let's get into this card Class Champions 13, Thanksgiving Thunder. Match number one was. The Freebirds with Little Richard Marley, also known as Rocky King, a longtime enhancement talent. Um, he was their roadie. This is when the Freebirds were doing the glam rock days with the makeup and everything. I know a lot of people don't like this type, this 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 version of Freebirds, Michael Hayes, Jimmy Garvin with the glam rock. But you know, being like a kid growing up in the '80s and stuff, like I I, I dug it. You know, I kind of I kind of got a kick out of the roadie. Um, and it was kind of looking back. It was kind of cool to see Rocky King get something because you know he's been a long time local jobber and and you know they gave something you know and they they wrestled the the Wild Isles Southern Boys Tracy Smothers and Steve Armstrong a very underrated tag team um, they were hot in 1990 and when Dusty Rhodes came in as a Booker in January of 1991 he decided that. The Southern boys were just too Southern. They needed to appeal to, you know, a world a worldwide, you know, audience. So they changed their tag team name from the Southern Boys to the Young Pistols, and they're from Wyoming, and they just never really recovered. Um never never guess they just yeah, they never really were as hot as they were in nineteen ninety when they were these Southern boys. <laughs> Um, and granted, I know like the Confederate flag and all that stuff. Just nowadays, just just just, just wouldn't work. But you know, back then, you know, like they were excited. I, mean, I didn't I didn't understand the whole stuff. You know, I wouldn't I wasn't at a. I mean, when I was a kid at that time, I wasn't thinking like you know, oh that 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 flag's offensive or you know, I just that that you know, I just think that's Duke's a hazard. You know, and um, but to me, they were just an exciting tag team, and they always had really good matches. The Freebirds, um, Clash Eleven, I talked about um, 
the opening match on that show is a very hot match between the Southern Boys and the Freebirds. Uh, they also wrestled in a, in a match on Clash 12, the openers. It felt like a lot of clashes were opening with uh, the Freebirds and the Southern Boys. Um, even into 90, 1991, Super Brawl, the first Super Brawl, the for opening match is the Freebirds versus the Young Pistols for the, at the time, vacated United States Tag Team Championship. The, these teams are just married to, to get together, but they always had good matches. Um, this The match is only uh, four minutes and 50 seconds. A lot of these matches, being a two-hour show, a lot of short times. Uh, the... Wrestling Observer star rating. I kind of have I've added this to my reel on this show. Um, two and a half stars. Dave gave that. Um, it was a fun match. Uh, a lot of, is of course, a lot of action. Originally, this was supposed to be a six-man tag team match. It was going to be the Southern Boys and Ellie Gigante versus the Freebirds and Bobby Eaton. But the Freebirds got on the mic and they gloated about why Ellie Gigante's not there. So they, you know basically hinted that they had something to do with that so the referee said well it's not going to be a three on two it's going to be a two on two so they cooked bobby eaton out of the ringside area and that's all we saw bobby eaton which sucks because he's at the time one of the best wrestlers in that company and i also think i don't know what happened why elegante maybe was hurt uh but I think what actually would have been a really fun six-man tag team match, even with Elegante in there. I know he's very limited and, of course, very green. and you know. But I think if anyone can make Elegante look good, it's going to be you know Bobby Eaton if they, if they, you know, for key spots. But it didn't happen. But, but what we got was a, a really good tag team match. Um, again, hot action. Uh, Steve Armstrong did a great dive onto Jimmy Garvin onto the rampway over the top rope onto the rampway. WCW had the long rampway to the ring, which I always liked. A lot of people don't like that. Um, um, if you're around my age, I'm 45. A lot of fans of you know my age, they and fans of WCW kind of love that rampway. Um, if you're a manager, you probably don't like it because you can only work like you know you know three sides of the ring but you know i always thought it was cool i always thought they made them look like big stars and they're coming on this walking down this rampway to the ring um tracy smothers was tripped on the outside by little richard marley and just ducked as he tripped he stoned right into the det from michael hayes and really good finish really really uh really good opener so i was like oh shoot yeah i totally forgot how hot this match was and the crowd like i said was going nuts for this big fans of the southern boys they hated the free birds and they gave them all action match number two was more action brian pillman pinned nature boy boy landell the, the match time was five minutes and 52 seconds uh, the wrestling Observer star rating was three and a half stars. I don't know about that. I I, I I would definitely give it a nice, maybe solid three, but three and a half seems a little bit too high. And I know you're like, John, it's just an extra half a star. What are you talking about? But, you know, I'm from a day when, you know, the five star actually meant something. Now it's just, just any, you know, they're just handing out five stars like it's like it's candy these days for any old mediocre matches. Um, I talked about the chemistry between Freebirds and – the Southern Boys, Pillman and Buddy Landell had also great chemistry. Um, they have a real fun match to open up the Great America Bash 90. Um, and this was just as good, maybe a little bit better because it was kind of a little more action-packed. Um, they had a little shorter time, so they kind of went right into it. 
Um, Pillman at one point did a springboard twisting crossbody off the middle rope uh, to the outside, which, you know, stuff they weren't seeing on American television at the time. Pillman was adding a lot of stuff like that stuff in there. Um, Pillman eventually won with the flying crossbody. Just a really, really good matchup. So I know I got a bag on Clash 13, but, you know, right right off the bat, we opened up with uh, two pretty good matches. And match number three was also a good match. Big Cat, Curtis Hughes, if submitted Brad Armstrong, the candy man at the time. I hated that gimmick. You know, it wasn't as bad as Arachnaman, which you would do like a year later. But, you know, the candy man, the guy that just comes and brings kid. When he comes to ring, he, he gives him candy. <laughs> it's just like, uh, Ole Anderson, what the hell are you thinking? The match was four minutes, 31 seconds. Star rating from the Observer was only a star. Uh, you know, I can't complain. It, but it was a, a good match. Uh, uh, Big Cat, Curtis Hughes, was a good young prospect. Of course, he later on became Mr. Hughes, which he, you know, became synonymous with that gimmick. Not only in WSW, but he also did it in WWF at the time in, like, 1993. Um, you know, this match was just, just good booking here. You got the green, young powerhouse, and Big Cat... And you put him in with the smooth as can be veteran, Brad Armstrong, who you know is going to go in there, do his job to make Big Cat look good. And and he did. Because Brad Armstrong is one of the best workers and one of my favorite work, uh, wrestlers of all time. And he's he's just always, always spot on to everything. And Big Big Cat did this cool multiple backbreaker spot with Armstrong. It looked great. And then finally he finished off Armstrong with the torture rack. Because uh, they're setting up a few with Big Cat and Lex Luger. Of course, Lex Luger is uh, his finisher is the torture rack. I may mention earlier that you know with the Motor City Madman, the Night Stalker, Master Blasters, Ole Anderson was going for green, cheap talent. You could throw Allen Iron Eagle in there, but the guy I thought was really worth. A, a, a look and a sign and a good a good sign good signing of a young guy is big cat i thought he could have been successful as the big cat you know but i like he really really found his his spot as the mr hughes gimmick the the bodyguard gimmick and i thought he did a great job especially when they put him with um, um lex luger of course he first started off mr hughes was the bodyguard for alexandra york of the uh, of her of the York Foundation, and then when they turned Luger heel and put him with Harley Race, they gave him the bodyguard, Mr. Hughes, and they said that Alexander York and Harley Harley Race made a deal, and they and they got this, you know, Harley Race got the services of Mr. Hughes, and that just made a better combo. They, you know, I wish they lasted a lot longer, but again, <laughs> I know as I was back on this show, we had three three good matches to start the show, so you know, but. Here comes some goofiness. I mean, this match, next match, match number four, wasn't that bad. Um, it's Z-Man, Tom Zank pinned Brian Lee with a top rope drop kick. Match time was only three minutes, ten seconds. Uh, the, the, the wrestling was a star rating was, was a star. Uh, this was Brian Lee's debut in WCW, but he was not under contract. Uh, you know, Brian Lee was a good prospect. You know, tall, um, Tall blonde guy. Of course, later on he would become uh, uh, Chains. 
He would become the fake Undertaker before that. Um, uh, Brian Lee would be, you know, you know, uh, a very important part of the early early part of uh, Smoky Mountain Wrestling. At first, as a Bayface, and then, and then a, as a heel with uh, Tammy Sitch as his manager. Um, I always liked Brian Lee as a as a especially when he was in the stud stable with uh, Robert Fuller and Jimmy Golden. Eventually, Jimmy Golden was out of the group. I don't know, maybe just went back home to Al, you know Alabama. I don't know, but it was end up being Robert Fuller and uh, Brian Lee. But I always liked the stud stable. I like Brian Lee. He was a good young prospect. This was uh, basically a tryout match on national television. Uh, and it, you know, he was, Lee was working hard here. You know, like I say, he's like a big guy. He's like, what, 6'5", a 6'6". Six, six. And he just takes, you know, out of the corner. Z-Man hits this beal. And Brian Lee just goes flying. Takes this great big bump off that beal. You know, gets great height. Man, it made Z-Man look like just superhuman. Uh, and Z-Man, <laughs> apparently, Brian Lee forgot he was supposed to feed back out. And Z-Man was going to jump to the top rope, you know, facing towards the fans. And do like a twisting crossbody onto Brian Lee. But Brian Lee just forgot to be there. And all you do see is just Z-Man just... Jump to the top rope, twist, and crash. No water in the pool. The Jacksonville fans start laughing. It's because it looked awkward, right? It looked like, yeah, something, something, something mess got messed up there. Uh, it looked to me Brian Lee forgot the forgot forgot where to be. Forgot the spot. And that's where the kind of match went south. And there's the moments, and then you know. <laughs> Z-Man quickly finished it with a drop kick. And, you know, Z-Man at the time was kind of floating in WCW. After, you know, early on 1990, they put him with Brian Pillman. They won the U.S. Tag Team Championships. Uh, once they lost the U.S. Tag Team Championship in, uh, in uh, May of 1990 to the Midnight Express, Z-Man was just kind of floating. He was kind of just in the mid-card. Um, Great Maker Bash 90, he was destroyed by Vader, who made his WCW debut. Uh, I used to just joke that every time there was like a new big heel, they would throw Z-Man out there to get his ass kicked. You know, Clash um, Clash 12, the one before this. You know, you have Stan Hansen coming into WCW. He destroys Z-Man on Clash 12. Um, <laughs> a year later on uh, Halloween Havoc 91, the Halloween Phantom end up being Rick Rude. Rick Rude destroyed Z-Man on that. <laughs> so like any big heel was that was debuting was going to just destroy the Z-Man on the on on the first match in. But at the, but at the time around this time, you know, Ole Anderson got behind Z-Man, was giving him a win streak. Uh he was winning matches that flying drop kick and he eventually won the um WWE television title from Arn Anderson on television in a very good match. And I was into it. You know, I was into Z-Man. Like, oh, because, you know, sh- go figure. Showing a guy winning on television. Uh, definitely going to, you know, make your kid notice. And I noticed he was on a winning streak. And I'm like, when the match was signed um, and announced that they're going to have a match with a TV title. And, and I'm like, this is it. He's been on a roll. He's going to win. And he sure enough did. And I just remember, I always remember 
that match. And it's a very good TV match. And um, it was filmed early in December, but it was actually aired right after um, the Starcade 90 um, pay-per-view. And, you know, Z-Man won with this flying dropkick on the top rope. It was, it was, uh, it was, it was great stuff. Um, so, but then Dusty Rhodes came, became the booker and was like, yeah, I don't like, I'm not a fan of this Z-Man guy being my TV champion. And he quickly went to what he knows is Arn Anderson back as a TV champion again. And of course he ends up, uh, Arn Anderson ends up, uh, having it for a while till he loses to beautiful Bobby at class, uh, sorry, Super Raw one. In May of 1991. Now, match number five was Michael Wall Street pinning Star Blazer with the Wall Street Clash, a.k.a. Samoa Drop, four minutes and 48 seconds. Before the match started, it they had a promo with Michael Wall Street and Alexandra York. This is Alexandra York's debut. Uh, she's not his manager. She's his financial advisor. Um, he, Michael, Mike Rotunda, end up inheriting a bunch of money. He invested it, and now he legally changed his name to Michael Rawl Street. He has his advisor, who Alexander York, who has a computer. She's going to like log in the strategy. The computer's going to write out his his path to victory and also predict how long it takes to win this match. And I believe in this promo, she she said that he would beat uh, Star Blazer in under five minutes, which, which he did. Uh, Star Blazer, <laughs> mask, mask gentleman was just Tim Horner in a mask. Tim Horner, uh, you know, uh, he's a solid guy, solid, a solid worker, reliable worker, uh, a good guy on the card, good guy, veteran guy to put in with the young talent to get beat, and you know, I I get like, eh, let's put him in the mask. You know, he's not that charismatic, but like. Even when the mask, he just sometimes I've seen this happen before when you have a guy who's not that charismatic, right? You throw a hood over him, and all of a sudden that like becomes like a like a shield for them, and they can they can break out. That happened to uh, Mark Smith, aka Bison Smith, um, in all pro wrestling. Um, you know, Mark Smith was this big big country boy, uh, big guy who just didn't have any charisma. All of a sudden they. Th- they put this mask on, called him Super Story 2000. All of a sudden, he started having the body language out there, and the charisma was coming out. And eventually, he you know lost the mask and ended up going to Japan, Bison Smith and Noah, and he just found himself. You know, that didn't happen here with Tim Horner as Star Blazer. Just came out in this little goofy walk. <laughs> it was just like, oh man, um, this match was just fine. Some weird moments. Honestly, I I think they didn't need to have this match. I think instead of, you know, having the interview with Michael Wall Street, they could have just done the vignette of how he became Michael Wall Street, etc. Which they announced that they're going to show how he became Michael Wall Street on World Championship Wrestling. Why not show the vignette here on Class of Champions and then advertise? Because you need something for people to tune in on Saturday. Advertise, hey, we're going to see this new Mike Rotunda, a.k.a. now Michael Wall Street, you know, make his, you know, in-ring debut with this new name on our show. But but this match was just kind of there. Now, this is where this 
this show starts really slipping down a very steep steep slope match number six match i mentioned earlier the qualifying match the pat o'connor memorial tag team tournament the africa finals colonel de clerk the future rocco rock of public enemy and sergeant kruger ray apollo slash the future doink the clown wwf versus the beast who is bill tab a long time enhancement talent from you know, World Championship Wrestling and Kalua, who I don't know who who that was. I know I try, try to find some history on him, I couldn't find. Um, it wasn't the same Kalua from up north in the Savoldi area. So I, I I'm guessing this guy was from Georgia, Florida, Indies. Uh, match was four minutes and forty eight seconds. This <laughs> Dave gives match a negative quarter star. I hope they don't blame him for that. Um you know, this match at first, you know, you had the clerk, uh, excuse me, Rocco Rock was uh, doing some high-flying stuff to kind of, you know, he's doing a lot just to get noticed by uh, by Ole Anderson and to get a job. The fans were into the, into the beast. Bill Tab, Bill Tab is, you know, really uh, tall, thick. Uh, african-american wrestler and he had you know social intensity out there it's a big clothesline big power slam they were into him you know they were into the big guys um and then this match just completely fell apart at one point there was like no tag made and the referee's like you guys are not tag and it just looked just clutchy as hell it just kept falling apart eventually you know colonel de clerk and sergeant kruger Won the match and moved on to Starcade, and they got destroyed by the Steiner Brothers in the opening round. Uh, but yeah, it's just like, what a waste of time this was. What a waste of television time for four guys that are not even on your on your on your roster to do some bogus tournament that just, just doesn't even honor Pat O'Connor. Because again, Pat O'Connor was not a known for his tag team wrestling. You know, he's known for being one of the greatest NWA World Champions. So. It's just frustrating as hell. Frustrating as hell. And this match was just not good. Master of Summer, my guy, told Package Lex Luger, pinned the Motor City Madman in two minutes and 34 seconds. Um, Meltzer gave this match a dud. Yeah. As much as I love Lex Luger, I got to admit, this match was a dud. But not, honestly, no fault of Lex Luger. I'm not, you know, you're probably like, oh, LaRocca, you just think... You know, he's one of your favorites, so you can never knock Lex Luger. I can, trust me, I can knock Lex Luger. But mostly Madman was like working with a just a big old mattress bed, right? Like <laughs> So the story is Polly Dangerously is bringing in Motor City Madman to collect the bounty that Stan Hansen put on Lex Luger after Halloween Havoc. Uh, and it just sounds stupid because he the you know I don't imagine Stan Hansen needing to ha- put a bounty on anyone, right? If Stan Hansen wanted someone taken out, he would just do it himself. Uh, I was doing my research on Motor City Madman. I remember, like, he was only here for a short time in WCW. He was gone pretty quickly by early in 91, if not by January of 91. And I started doing my research. And he used a big lug. Like, he's just a big guy. He's pretty big, like six seven, looked like. Massive. He wasn't like muscular, just a big brawny dude. Um I mean 
he looked powerful and intimidating. But I think fans in the, in the 90s still were still like about is about the the muscular bodies and stuff. So at the time, I remember when I was like, oh man, I saw it like on his vignette when he's like in the pool hall and beating up dudes and and he looked huge next to the poly. I'm like, oh man, I can't. What's this guy? Can't this guy in the ring? He's just a giant, right? But he's wearing like this big old leather jacket. Of course, when he debuts, he just comes, takes it off. And he's big and he's and he's like a, a massive guy, but he's just so flabby. It's like, yeah, it's like a time I was like, ah, this guy can't compete with Lex Luger, who's jacked. Uh, but doing my research on Motor City Madman is that he was from a tag team called the Motor City Mad Men, managed by Paulie Dangerously back in 1987. And his tag team partner was the future 911 in ECW. I thought that, that was. Very interesting, you know. Paul Paul Lee loyal to some of his early guys. He he managed and you know got Motor City Man Man a, a job for a short time in in WC, WCW and end up uh, finding a, a a a very uh very big spot for nine one one and ECW. That was like a you know in that what ninety four ninety five you know. Call nine one one. He'd come out and choke slam. People just would eat up in ECW. So that, that was kind of cool to see Paul Dietrich kind of take care of some of his old charges. Um, before the match, there was actually a promo. Lex Luger talking about Lex. Talk about Stan Hansen. Another match. Star kick coming up. Big Cat ends up uh, confronting him. Luger just punches him and just starts making his way to the ring. As Luger's coming out, Pyro's coming off um, from behind. You see just Big Cat stalking him, right. It looked pretty cool visual coming, th- you know, just because Luger's does not see Big Cat coming from behind. They start fighting. Luger fights off Big Cat. Motor City Madman, you know, attacks Luger. Uh, like I said, Motor City Madman is just a heavy lug, man. Luger tries to go for a body slam. He goes up. That Motor City Madman goes up so heavy. I thought Luger looked like he was just going to break his back. Uh, and. At one point, Luger suplexes Motor City Madman back from the outside back to the ring and just gets a muscle him up, almost nearly DT Motor City Madman. It just poor Luger was like, what the hell, you know? And the finish is Luger wins the clothesline and Motor City Madman is already bumping back early before the clothesline. It just looked like just made it look like shit. And crowd still went nuts because you know Luger's a, a start. In there, you know, was a big star at WSW, so they're they're excited to see him. But man, I was so bummed by this match, and just you know, glad Luger won as a kid. But I was like, oh man, this is you know, even back then I was like, ah, this should have been more, it should have been a bigger deal, but it wasn't. Master rate the Renegade Warriors defeated the Nasty Boys by disqualification. This match went four minutes and forty nine seconds. Dave gave this match a three quarter of a star. Apparently, Nasty Boys were on a per match deal or a very short term deal because uh, they got they they got offered WWF and they gave their notice to leave. So Jim Ross immediately started to bury the Nasty Boys on commentary how they're scared of the, Na- of the Steiner brothers, and the match was just kind of there. I, you know what? I was never a fan of the Renegade Warriors. I just never got into their work. Though I did see some stuff in Puerto Rico, I thought that was pretty good. But back in WCW, I was like, man, just just can never get into them. Not that they're okay. I just, you know, they're I guess they're fine for the mid card team, but 
Like, Halloween Havoc 90, man. What the hell? They went like 17 minutes with the Freebirds in that show. It's like, dude, come on. They're just not exciting. They're just kind of, they, neither guy had much charisma. Chris Youngblood maybe had a little bit more charisma. Mark Youngblood, no charisma at all. And it's just kind of just, just there. Uh, and like during the match, the Steiner brother just runs out and attacks, attacks the Steiners and, and they and the Steiners start, uh, Nasty Boy start running off. So just really just trying to bury the, the Nasty Boys because they're just leaving pretty soon here, like in a few weeks. Uh, match number nine is a very famous match. Sid Vicious versus the Night Stalker. Night Stalker, a.k.a. the future Adam Bomb in the WWF. Uh, Wrath in WCW. Uh, part of the Brian Clark, part of the Chronic Tag Team. Um, this match went three minutes to 30 seconds. It was, it was, this match is a negative four star. Again, one of the worst matches ever on U.S. television. Uh, why this match was booked with a very green Night Stalker big guy with Sid, who is a very big guy, very charismatic guy, awesome look, but he really needs dance partners to have a good match with. Like, um, but if it's a squash match, it's fine. But this wasn't a squash match. This was supposed to be pretty competitive. Uh, story of the match: Night Stalker was going for Sid's ribs. Those. And the, the ribs, of course, Paulie James may notice about those ribs were hurt and his lungs were punctured back in 1990s. True story. Um, <laughs> it just fell apart. Like the big cat comes out to text Sid for some reason. And Night Stalker has this axe and tries to hit Sid with it. Sid just grabs it and hits Night Stalker with it. He doesn't hit him with the, the, the spike, the blade point, but just like the handle. Right from the referee, Fred Atkins is like, what the fuck? All right, whatever. And then one, two, three. Sid gets the win. And then Big Cat and Nice Harker attacks Sid. And Sid fight. It's just fucking ridiculous. Um, eventually, this sets up uh, a match at Starcade with Sid Vicious reuniting with his skyscraper tag team partner, Dan Spivey, to face. And originally, it was booked Night Stalker. Versus the big cat, but they end up. I don't know what happened with Night Stalker. May just figured, oh shit! What after this match, we can't have him in that match. Let's put the Motor City Madman in, and just the the skyscraper just destroy destroy the those two guys. And crowd loved it. I remember that in Starcade Nine, they were hot for that. But what a waste of Sid Vicious on Starcade, right? What a waste. Um, next up was a Freebirds interview with Tony Schiavone. Freebirds, of course, gloating about their win over the Southern Boys early in the night. Uh, they're gloating again about Eligante. Out comes the Southern Boys to confront him. And then, in a surprise, Eligante's there. And he runs off the Freebirds. And, you know, they kind of hype up some future six-man tag team matches. Kind of wish it was on this show, but strange. But at least they got the show like, hey, no, he is here. So we didn't false advertise him, but he, technically you guys did. You know, so anyways, uh Sets up stuff for the house shows between those those two teams. Match number 10. Yes, there's 11 matches on this card total. U.S. Tag Team Champion Steiner Brothers defeated the Magnum Force. One minute and 59 seconds. They gave it a star rating. Now, on November 5th edition of World Championship Wrestling, a team named Magnum Force debuted, and they were announced that they're going to meet the, the Steiners, the class champions. And they had like a Steiners, that little inset promo during this squash. 
match on television talking about the Magnet Force and everything and the Nasty Boys. But these guys were so bad that they were never booked again. And the Magnet Force that was on workshops wrestling on November 5th was replaced by local enhancement tag team, the Ring Lords of Speeding Gonzales and Ring Lord Rick. Yeah, that's their names. Uh, and they just changed the Ring Lords' names to Magnum Force, and they ended up being Magnum Force 1 and 2. Uh, Ring Lords were a good, solid, you know, enhancement team. Uh, they I thought they always did their job really well. They're they're good. They I enjoyed them in South Atlantic Pro Wrestling, George Scott's promotion, especially during 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 the the last year of that promotion's run. Um, we used to get that here in San Jose on Sports Channel America, and they would face a tag team called the uh, um, uh, was it the TNT TNT? I think it was Tommy Seabolt and T- Tommy Angel. Uh, you know, they had some good matches. I always liked the Ring Lords because they had awesome mullets. At least speaking as always did. And yeah, they always did their job well. And then, but it was just so funny. Like, all of a sudden, like, I remember, like, Magnet Force. I remember, like, thinking, like, as a kid, I'm like, that's not Magnet Force. It's the Ring Lords. Why are they called the Magnet Force? Anyways, they destroy, Steiner Brothers destroys these guys. Uh, uh, Scott hits an awesome Frankensteiner on Rick, Ring Lord, Ring Lord Rick for the win. Uh, and now Ken and Nasty Boys trying to get revenge, but the Steiners end up kicking their ass and setting them off. Again, this is just, you know, this is one of the last appearances of the Nasty Boys because they gave their notice and they're gone. Uh, November, two days later on in the Omni in Atlanta, the Steiner Brothers beat them in the Steiner, beat them in the cage match. And then on November 29th, Rick Steiner in a handicap match with the Nasty Boys in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And then on December 11th, uh, the Nasty Boys made their WWF debut on a WWF Superstars taping. And here's the match. Like, okay, instead of doing Nasties versus the Renegade Warriors, instead of doing Steiner Brothers versus Magnum Force, you know the Nasty Boys are leaving. Just do the cage match here. Do or do do a do a singles match or that's a do a tag team match a rematch from that great match the Steiner Brothers and Nasty Boys had at at Halloween Havoc '90, rematch it on the Clash '13, and then you could do a finish where the the Steiners are just beating the crap out of the Nasties. The Nasties finally do just just run off, and that's why you have the cage match two days later in Omni if you want to, or just fucking do the cage match on television, you know. Give us a main event that, right? Man, we can't wait to see. It's just, like I said, just a lot of these matches. Like, what the fuck was Ole Anderson doing? Next up was a live Danger Zone hosted by Paul Lee Dangerously. It was supposed to be a Sting and Black Scorpion face to face, though they never go face to face. And the Black Scorpion is going to demonstrate his dark magic. Is Sting agree not to interfere? Out comes this guy, and, and he just does You know, he doesn't look like a wrestler, he's a skinny little guy in this black scorpion mask. And he starts, he pulls off out this plant in the crowd. This guy, you should see this guy, he pulls out just a total, total plant overacting. Like, he's like, oh man, we're gonna just perform out there. And black scorpion puts this box on this guy's head, twists it around. It looks like he's twisting this guy's head around. And then he p- picks him up. 
throws him in this cage, throws a blanket over the cage, pulls it off, and now the guy's a leopard or something. It's just fucking ridiculous. And then Sting goes to chase after Black Scorpion, Black Scorpion jumps into this other thing and disappears. It's what a just stupid thing. Of course, Black Scorpion famously ends up being Ric Flair because they had no way out of this. And when they need something done, they just call on Ric Flair. And, and you know, they start, like I said, it started, this whole Black Scorpion thing was really interesting when it started. It just, they just, the way Anderson had no plan who it was. He like he's himself. He you know he's getting pressure from Turner, and he kind of like threw something on paper, Sting versus Black Scorpion, and they're like, oh, we like that. So he created this mystery of who the Black Scorpion was. He should have made a play for Eddie Gilbert. I always say Eddie Gilbert should have been the Black Scorpion because the history between Sting and Eddie Gilbert. Was was established already in WCW in 1989, and you know I thought that would have been, been great. Eddie would have been great in that role. Match number eleven was uh, the best match on the card. The match was the the Horseman, Ric Flair, Arn Anderson against. Well, the match was a member of the Horseman, either Ric Flair or Arn Anderson versus a member of Doom. Butch Reed or Ron Simmons. And the winner of that match, now, if the Flair, the Horseman, or the Horseman win, they get a tie team title shot at Starcade 90, and also Taylor Long becomes their chauffeur for a day. Uh, and if the Doom wins, they get Ric Flair's Rolls Royce and, and Yacht. <laughs> It's, it's, it's ridiculous. Ends up being a coin flip within the ring. It ends up being Ric Flair and Bush Reed. And, of course, Ric Flair and Bush Reed had really some really good matches in the 80s. Uh, you know, this wasn't as good as those matches, but it's still a, a really good match. And compared to a lot of matches on this card, it looked like an all-time classic. Day uh, gets match three, three and a three-quarter star. And, um, yeah, I would go a little lower. I would go, like, three, three and a quarter, three and a half. But... Yeah, you know, like I'm not going to really argue too much with three three and a quarter star. Uh, as I mentioned, it's coin flip to see who was going to be competing in this match. Flair and Reed. Um, there's a cool spot where, towards the finish, where Arn and Tay Long are arguing on the outside. The referees, Nick Patrick's in between them to kind of calm him down. Uh, uh, Butch Reed is a backdropping uh, Flair the top rope as the referee looks up, sees Flair comes down on him. He, you know, Flair crushes him. This allows some shenanigans to happen with Ron Simmons coming in, hitting a big clothesline on on uh, on on Flair and then celebrating. Turn his back, like okay, we got us in the bag. With an arm comes in, hits Butch Reed with a chair, rolls Flair on top, and they end up winning. Um, like I said, this is a good match. This is a, a Good match. Of course, Flair and Reed have chemistry together. Reed, you know, obviously older. Knees aren't what they were, were, but he still was able to really put on a good performance. And Flair was really working his ass. So you could tell Flair's like, dude, Flair, we need you to save this damn show. Right? I don't know if anyone told him that, but I'm sure he just sensed it. Like, he's probably just sitting there like, what the hell? These guys get these fans something. or these, None of these 5,000 fans are probably ever coming back. So... And he went out there and they had a good match. The crowd was really going, uh, really going and crazy for this match. Really into it. 
so <laughs> they win the horsemen and then on television i think a week later or maybe two weeks later i think it was a week later actually yeah f- you know dead segments where you see tay long chauffeuring rick flair around he's up going to this like i don't know rough area wherever they're at in atlanta and all you see is Rick Rick Flair being taken out of his limo and jumped, and we don't see him again in that Starcade ninety. He's not around, and Barry Windham ends up taking Rick Flair's spot in the tag team title match with Doom in the street fight, and that match is a great match. But then later on, Rick Flair ends up being Splash Scorpion, and no one really explains what the hell happened with, uh, with all that with Doom and Ric Flair and all that stuff. And that's just classic WCW for you. So, all right. That is my review of Clash Champions 13, Thanksgiving Thunder. Nice little look back on one of the strangest wrestling cards ever on United States television. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks again for uh, Deep Cuts WCW on Twitter for inspiring me to review some clash 13 it was the fun look back and if you want to follow me on twitter or hit me up on twitter uh if it's still around and i guess i kind of like the joke i've been saying these days um hit me up at laraka jl all right everyone enjoy the rest of your holiday weekend and be safe take care